Yeah, so actually I've never run, completed an ultra. Welcome to Training for Ultra podcast. I'm Ashley Brassavan and I'm your guest speaker today. episode Ashley Brassavan coming back from tons of injuries I find her super inspirational Um, there's one or two comments that she makes during this episode that I think will really inspire you and stay with you possibly the rest of your um, running career so let's start off with a patreon question of the week Garrett asks if you could only have donuts or cookies the rest of your life which are you keeping I'm going with cookies. I would I would have to agree. I mean, donuts, trust me, donuts would be great for maybe um, two or three weeks and maybe even two or three months, but I'd like the cookie because you could go like super sugary when you want and then like as hearty as you want, basically like oatmeal cookies to get you through and sugar cookies, but man... Only having cookies or donuts the rest of your life, I I have to go with cookies, so I'll answer it. Um, If you want to ask the question of the week, feel free. Patreon, I think you can join for a dollar a month, and we have a closed Facebook group, and we ask some really deep questions, and then also whether you'd eat cookies or donuts. So thank you for that question. Thank you to the podcast sponsors, so Exoskin, if you haven't used exoskin gear yet i've i'm planning on using it for every race that i have this year they now make toe socks for bigger feet feel free to use my promo code t the number four u20 for 20 percent off thank you to hammer nutrition ultimate direction destination trail and sufferfest beer all really great supporters and i um i truly appreciate them i'll be using all their gear i'll be running their races and enjoying their beer at the end of the race. So thank you to those guys for supporting the podcast. Couldn't make this happen without you. Last but not least, Ashley and I, we did like a really short video. So check out YouTube. I'll put it in the show notes. Feel feel free to subscribe to YouTube. Trying to build out that channel in the next year. And hopefully I'll have a really good offering coming up. I've actually never attempted to try on filmmaking so the um the moab 240 video kind of took off but um i'm actually trying to make a film with matt daniels sub four to states and really putting forth like a, a a true effort on that front and then i'll be making a a movie called the triple which hopefully will cover the bigfoot 200 tahoe 200 and moab 240 so enjoy this episode Appreciate you guys listening. Enjoy your training. Yeah, thank you again for inviting me. And it's always cool to do in-person interviews. I feel like they're extra special. I mean, you get to um, see the person's facial reaction, and and uh, hopefully this is interesting. I mean, you've have you attempted to run any ultra marathons? This might be a first for training for ultra, actually. 
Yeah, so actually I've never run, completed an ultra, so I'm probably one of the first people on the Training for Ultra podcast who's not actually finished an ultra. I did Chuckanut 50K last month in March and actually had to drop out at mile 10 because I fractured my femur in the middle of the race. Um, But up until then, the marathon's been my longest distance, and that's been on the roads, so not even on the trail. I think 37K has been the longest on the trails for me so far. And just for the listeners' background, Ashley and I, I think we shared some miles back at a Runner's Roost event, and um, if you've ever had the pleasure of running beside her, you can hardly even hear her. She's like super light on her feet, super fast, super talented, probably one of the fittest people I've ever met. So it's... um, I, I was really um, impressed what you had to say at Runner's Roost, and you are the first person to have only DNF'd an ultra on my podcast, and I don't think anything different of you uh, for it. So I'd like to um, get into where you started running, because you know there's, there's videos of you from like 07 crushing and getting interviewed on YouTube. And it seems like you've been in the limelight from a young age. And I'm just fascinated to hear more about how you picked up running. And I want to hear more about you. I want, we have a ton of topics to, um, to hit. So where'd you start? Yeah, no, well, thanks again for having me on the podcast. Um, my whole family is really athletic. And so my mom was a D1 tennis player at Auburn. Her brother was a professional tennis player. Her sister was also semi-professional tennis player. My sister played tennis. So I started out in tennis and was unfortunately very terrible at tennis, not up to my family standards by any means. Um, so I started swimming which is kind of the first sport everyone tries in Florida. I grew up in South Florida, and people learn to swim before they learn to walk there. I've been a scuba diver for 18 years now at this point, Um, and I actually started running as cross-training for swimming in middle school, and so I really wanted to become better at swimming, and so I started running two miles every morning, and in seventh grade, I ran a 528 mile and was like, oh, maybe I'm pretty good at this running thing, so... Everyone kind of suggested trying varsity swimming and running my freshman year of high school. And I ended up winning states and cross country my freshman year of high school in Florida. And I was like, huh, well, maybe I should choose between swimming and running. It's a lot. So swimming and running are both fall sports in Florida. So I was swimming two hours a morning to try to get into practice there and then skipping swimming practice in the afternoon and going to running practice. So it was like you know, three or four hours of practicing a day, just it was way too much to do and try to keep up with academics in high school. And so sophomore year is when I fully committed to running and kind of went well from there. So wait a second, you, you just showed up to States and like threw down and won the whole event. That's, and you weren't even really a runner. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that was, I mean, I think to me at the time you're this, tiny freshman in high school you're coming onto a team my team was fifth that year too so we had a lot of good runners and I don't think I really understood the how good that was I think it was just like oh I won another race and there just were more people at this race from all across the state of Florida and I think it kind of settled in maybe by my sophomore or junior year I actually won all I won cross country all four years of high school so as a four-time cross-country state champion in Florida which I think by the end what? 
Yeah, that was That's crazy. It's it was really hard, I think, to like, continue doing that. Pressure too. senior year, like you show up and no room for error. Yeah. Because there's that freshman that's a swimmer that's showing up to that event too, and <laughs> that's amazing. Four years in a row, you won. Mm -hmm. And so I assume every college in the world was looking at you. Was it difficult to apply to school? Because I know you and your academics were probably stellar too. Yeah, I definitely school. had a lot of criteria, I think, going into college. So I took a couple unofficial visits um, and looked at like some of the Ivy Leagues and some of the other, like not necessarily Ivies, but the Dukes and Stanfords. And so I really only took official visits to Duke, Stanford, and Arizona State because I wanted that. I wanted to see a public school environment too and not just have my mind and heart set on a private school. So I wanted to really see the difference and get a good feel. Um, but yes, I came out really highly recruited and had a lot of pressure going into me into college. And I wanted a school with good athletics, good academics, and good weather. And so coming from Florida, I didn't want anything north of D.C., which sounds really ridiculous to most people, but I knew I couldn't handle winters. Um, and so I just fell in love with Duke and the team, and I knew some of the girls. And the girl I actually ended up rooming with at Duke was one of the girls I ran with all the time in Florida. So we had known each other for four years, and we ended up rooming together for four years in college. Um, so it was just a really good fit academically and athletically for me. Definitely came in with a lot of pressure. So Duke just recruited your running team. Your, <laughs> high, your whole high school team will take you all. Okay. Yeah, there's. She actually didn't run at my school, but we okay. ran together. Like in the the Florida running community is really tight knit, and so everyone who was distance runner in Florida kind of went to the same camps over the summer, and we were all friends and. You really got to know each other by the end of that four years, whether you went to the same school or not. Yeah. So how did you start balancing the, the pressures of school and those stresses with, you know, next level running and representing Duke? So life kind of made that decision for me. So after I came into Duke, probably in the best shape of my life, I just competed at the world championships as a senior in high school in cross country and was 26th. And then had won one foot locker my junior year of high school, was second my senior year. So I came in in top shape and got injured within two weeks of getting to Duke's campus. So I did not race until half. Two weeks? Two weeks. So after two weeks of being at Duke, I got a hamstring tendonitis and then it was all downhill from there. I mean, I did not race until halfway through my junior year of college. I was injured for two and a half years straight. So I had two femoral stress fractures. One of them was 60% of the way through my femur. And so that had the medical staff mandated six months off for that. No running, no even impact activity. I was in the pool or off for six months straight. And that was my sophomore year. And then um, also had variety of tendonitis, Achilles tendonitis, hamstring tendonitis. So I was just kind of a mess from the day I set foot on campus until about ACC's of junior year. I mean, so how did how did you cope with two years of not being able to do what you're? I mean, you won states four years in a row. Like, were you going through a tough time there, or were you so busy academically that you were able to cope with it and just found your your other passion of swimming to help cope with that? Or, I mean, how did you deal with all that? 
Yeah, I think it was hard. I mean, I think de running definitely defined me in high school, and I think I had to learn to redefine myself in college once all of that happened. And there's always the pressure of being on a full-ride scholarship at a school and other people who aren't who are performing better than you. I think that was an added stressor. Um, I think academics weren't necessarily my first priority coming in freshman year, but I think it kind of turned into that where I was forced to define myself as a person and then also just figure out what I wanted to do academically with my career. Um, and so I think the injury was hard and I definitely went into a phase of like depression and anxiety and had to deal with all of that and ended up going to see a therapist for a couple of years starting out in college. And I think that really helped. And my coach really forced me into that, which was kind of a blessing and a curse. I mean, it was a really tough time. Um, and then, you know, we started looking at all of the health aspects too. So on top of like, you know, having to cross train and dealing with the academic pressure of Duke because it's not exactly an easy academic institution. We were going through all these health tests to figure out what was wrong. Duke's not even, is it an Ivy? I don't even know. It's probably a bad side. It's not an Ivy. It's not even an Ivy. It's not an Ivy. That was my but joke, we but are then I didn't know if it really was. <laughs> I think we're like eighth, seventh or eighth this year. We're always in top ten. It's a really good school. Um, so you were dealing with, you said depression? Yeah, I think definitely a little bit of depression. I feel like looking back on it, I was probably using running as a coping mechanism even in high school to deal with, you know, just the pressure and stress I was putting on myself and maybe some like minor depression in high school. And I think I used running to cope with all of that. And so once running was taken away, you know, my coping mechanism was taken away, taken away in college. And so I had to figure out how to maintain my happiness and redefine myself as a person and Kind of learned that you know Ashley that I'm still Ashley even without running and that people still liked me without running and that I have a whole different part of me outside of running and I think I still struggle with people defining me as just a runner even today um, and I think I've tried more and more to have people not define me as that even though I love running and I should be proud of still being defined as a runner even if it's not all of who I am. Yeah, that's fascinating. I I can't imagine the stress of, I mean, you're stressing your body almost at the breaking point before that with a little to no knowledge of nutrition. Not, I mean, you're running in Florida, so I guess you learned hydration pretty well, but I mean, did you have dietary issues at all? I mean, women women and men, I mean, it's kind of notorious in high school and college running. I mean, was eating any kind of issue for you at all or? Yeah. And I think, I mean, I feel like any female distance runner who says it's not an issue at some point in their career, if they're successful is probably not telling the truth because it's always, I think at any one point, it's always an issue. And I think it was a huge issue for me in high school. And I mean, had the female athlete triad and came into college too. And that was one of my biggest issues was I was at osteoporosis at 18. And so I was like, Oh crap. I'm like, I have osteoporosis and I'm 18 years old. Like this isn't a good thing. And I think that was really a wake up call for me of all the damage I had done for four years. And I think we really like the Duke nutrition and sports staff was amazing. I mean, they really made sure I got all of my tests done, made sure that I was 
getting all of my hormones back in check, that the bone issue was being addressed. Um, so I think that while I was out the first two and a half years of college, we were really working on addressing all of that. And I actually just got my bone density retested last week and I am normal now. And so awesome. the past 10 years, I feel like that was kind of a win for me was I went from having osteoporosis to having completely normal bone density. And I think that's shown that I've really taken a long-term approach and have addressed some of the health issues that were major and really huge risk factors 10 years ago. That's great. And so were you able to run junior, senior year at all? Yeah, a little bit. I was actually on our nationals team. I wasn't far up there. I mean, my college career was nothing glamorous. Um, ran for our nationals team in cross country my senior year. And then um, I was only running like 30 to 50 miles a week, though, like nothing crazy, like just trying to stay healthy. I think still had a lot of academic pressure on me and so I just never could really make things click in college and so I decided to do a fifth year um, obviously redshirted two years so I had a fifth and sixth year if I wanted it so went straight into grad school at Duke um, partially to get my career together and figure out what I wanted to do the rest of my life but also just to try to take the redshirt year and then same thing two weeks into my fifth year got a stress fracture in my femur that was number four and the medical staff at duke was kind of like you're a liability did they just throw their hands up at that point they did not but they put a ban on me since that was my fourth one i had to take i think like four to six months off which pretty much killed the whole cross-country season and then killed the rest of the year. So at that point, I kind of was like, it's in my best interest to just focus on my career this year and then maybe next summer make a call on a sixth year. But I think at that point, I was like, I think I need to give my body a break. I need to give my mind a break. I just need to focus on other parts of my life. Did you almost give up on running at that point? Yeah, I mean, even today, I'm, I still don't know why I haven't given up on running. I mean, going through six femoral stress fractures, you kind of start to think like, oh, you know, how can you come back from all of that? Um, but I think I just love the competing aspect of it, and I really love the culture and the social aspect, and I think I just love racing. And whether I'm slow or whether I'm, you know, not doing well, I don't think that's necessarily my biggest thing. I think my biggest thing is just being happy, and I know running makes me happy and competing makes me happy. Um, no matter where I'm at in the pack. And so I've definitely considered quitting, and I never thought I was going to get back into competing after undergrad and happened to move to Colorado, got a job out here as an energy efficiency consultant right out of grad school, and got a call like three weeks after I got here from one of my friends back in Florida who was coaching out here. He's like, hey, you have a lot of potential. You know, I know you haven't been competing a ton, but you should get back into running. And I was like, hmm, sure. I'm only working 40 hours a week as opposed to 24-7 in grad school, so I have all of this free time with a 9-to-5 job. Um, and eight months later, qualified for the 2016 Olympic trials in the half marathon. Never thought that would happen. So wow, I, so, like, I mean, you go from almost giving up on running to finding yourself throwing down, like, was that probably one of your, your better races of all time? Yeah, everything just clicked. I mean, I had, like, six months of training under my belt, like, nothing crazy, running, like, 50 miles a week, doing, like, fartlek intervals, um, and ran a 114, and then that was in January of 2016, and so it was, like, 
oh, this is cool. That was like the best race of my life. Was really excited, kind of revamped my whole love for running and running career and like gave me the hope that I could be competitive again. But then I had five weeks to train for a marathon and I had never done a run over 90 minutes. Like it was a crazy crash course into marathon training. It's just double the distance. (laughs) What'd you do? How did you figure that out? Or what happened? I just, I learned to take gels. I'd never taken a gel before. I did one run that was 20 miles. So I was like, oh, if I can do 20 miles, I can probably do 26 miles. And then it was in LA. It was the year it was like 85 degrees and everyone else was complaining and had run marathons before, but it was my first marathon. I was so excited. I was on cloud nine. I was like running next to Shalane and Kara and just having so much fun. And I didn't even care where I came in. I definitely was, I never was going to DNF. That's not even an option for me unless my femur cracks in half in the middle of a race. Um, and so that was just a super fun first marathon experience. Like having the 2016 trials as my first marathon was awesome. And I didn't care that it was 80 degrees or that everyone else was dropping out. I finished and I was really happy and then knew I could do better. And so I think it kind of drove me to try another marathon and stay at that distance for a little bit longer until I decided to get onto the trail side of things. That's amazing. I mean... I, I'm just shocked because your expectations in the college were just off the charts. Like, I can't imagine the pressure of, you know, young Duke freshmen, like, just the emotional toll day to day. Like, expectations were so high. And then, you know, you're the star recruit of the team. And, the you know, those down years and then coming back so strong. Um how many marathons did you end up doing until you found the trails? I've only done three. So I've done CIM twice, the Cal International Marathon, and then the trials, and then qualify for the 2020 trials. So I'll be doing that. That'll probably be my next marathon at this point. I don't really think I'll get in another marathon before that. So my fourth one will be the 2020 Olympic trials. <laughs> so I'll only have run two marathons. Um, but, yeah, I think going back to college, I mean, I definitely – dealt with a lot of depression and anxiety and having to redefine myself. And I mean, the mental part of running hasn't always been there. Like I think I was a really mentally tough runner and could overcome any pain or adversity in races in high school and then not running for two and a half years. I really lost all of that. I mean, especially having to overcome the eating disorder part of it. And so that's something I think a lot of people don't think about is you're used to starving yourself and putting your body in pain And when you overcome that part of it and you no longer, you associate pain with being bad and being hungry. And so that kind of translated into racing for me. So by junior year, every time my body hit pain, my brain was just signaled that it was something bad and to stop. And so I never really could put together a good race the rest of college because I just, that pain factor scared me. Um, And it just went back to where I was at in high school. And so I don't know how that started clicking after college, but I think just the two years of not training, really. I was still running a little bit, but not competing. I think just the full break in grad school really helped me get back to that point of being a mentally tough racer like I was in high school. But then also just, I think, overcoming all the injuries definitely builds your mental toughness over time, too. When did you start venturing out on the trails? I mean, I assume you working, is it Golden? 
I mean, it's hard not to see the front range like right there and the flat irons and everything. So how long did it take you until you started going out for hikes and hitting the trails when you moved here? As soon as I moved here, I mean, Golden, for anyone who's never been to Golden, it's all trail running, lots of vertical trails. I lived right next to it. I think I wanted to cry the first two months I lived there because I lived the first two years I was in Golden living there and working there. And it's just hills. Like there was no part of Golden that was less than a quarter of a mile without going over a hill. And so you just kind of were forced into that. And so every time I went on a run, everyone was an ultra trail runner and they were asking, when are you going to do your first trail race? Do you really should stop doing roads? And so I think that bug was planted in me from the moment I moved to Colorado. But then I think ultimately I just decided I was kind of burned out with road running and just needed a little bit of a change. Um, and the trails really attracted me and I was always good at cross country in high school. And so that element of it really drew me to trail running. I'm surprised. I mean, you're so injury prone. I would have thought trail running would have been the first place to go just because it's a little softer on your body, but I don't know the way you hit the trails. <laughs> Maybe the downhill pounding is even worse. So, Yeah, I think, I think it's kind of a wash, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, I think the roads are hard on your body, but I think the ups and downs can be hard on my body as well. Not necessarily, I don't know if that applies to everyone. I think it's varied terrain, so you are a little bit less likely to get injured because you are breaking up your stride and going up and down. But I think also the roads are can be a little bit easier if you're just going flat all the time too. So I kind of just tell myself that it's a wash between the two. How's it feel representing the U.S.? That's um, a really cool feeling. I mean, so my first time was in high school for World Cross, um, my senior year of high school. Um, and that was just a really cool experience. And I think I didn't really do a lot with my team in high school after freshman year. We Our team kind of fell apart, and so it was really cool to be in a team environment. And then after Duke, you know, like post-collegiately, you don't, you're not necessarily, if you're working full-time, you're not necessarily on a team. So it's really cool to get back in that team environment and just be racing for other people outside of just yourself. And I think that really draws me. So I'm really finishing the race to do what's best for the team and not to just do what's best for me. Uh, Team USA hasn't reached out to me yet, but... <laughs> one day, keep the hope. I'm, I'm hoping there's a moment where they're like, we just need one more person and they can, they can just finish. You never know. You never know. <laughs> I never thought I'm after kidding. five stress fractures that I would be back on a Team USA and it happened. So there's always, yeah. there's always hope. So you qualified for the 2020 Olympic trials and I mean, what are you thinking for this year? I mean, is your goal just get healthy? Um, like I know you're spending a lot of time in the pool. Yeah. So luckily I grew up swimming um, and have a good swimming background. I know a lot of people struggle in the pool. Um, I hear that again and again. I always tell people, oh, I don't mind the pool. And they're like, oh, no, you must hate it. Like, it's not the same as running. And for me, it, you know, it's never the same as running. But luckily, I probably learned to swim before I learned to even walk growing up in Florida just because pools were such a hazard anywhere. I've been scuba diving since I was 10 years old. I grew up next to an ocean. So 
I've always been fortunate enough where I can get a pretty good, decent high and a good workout from just lap swimming, and I can swim a couple miles a day, and it doesn't phase me. I always think I have no upper body strength, and I still manage to do that. So, But I do think there's an element where form comes into play, and like having that background of being a competitive swimmer, you never really lose it. Um, so I think I'm really fortunate to be able to work out pretty hard still while I'm injured. Um, but in terms for the, the rest of the year, I mean, the goal is always to be healthy and happy. I mean, those are always my top two priorities. And then if those two things are in place, generally the racing piece will come up there as well. I mean, I always know if my mental happiness is there and I'm healthy, then I can always bring it in a race. Yeah. I mean, you excelled at trail running. I mean, what was it? You and Joe Gray won the, um, what year was that? It was 2017 half marathon trail champs. Yeah. I mean, I felt like that was a, a pretty important point for, for your career in running is, do you see it that way? I mean, starting to excel at like a different, you know, surface and totally different style of running, like. Do you, do you still hate the hills? <laughs> I love like you hills. you did initially. <laughs> no, I do, I do love hills. Um, and I don't think that course is necessarily the most hill. I think it was like a thousand feet of gain over yeah. like 13 miles. But I do think that was a big turning point. And I think, and I don't necessarily think everyone thinks this, but sometimes people think that road racing translates to trail racing. And that's definitely not always the case. And I think I was fortunate enough where my road speed translated to trail speed. And I think I've been good in adapting to both uphill. And I think downhill is actually harder for a lot of people who come from a road running background because they're scared of the downhills and tripping. So I think uphill isn't necessarily the hardest part of the learning curve. I think the downhills actually are. And I've been fortunate enough where I do most of my runs at 5.30 or 6 a.m. up North Table Mountain, which is a somewhat technical route and I'm, I'm in a headlamp and it's you know snowing or raining and so I think doing that for four years straight whether I'm running on the roads or on trails has really helped me with some of my like more technical skills um, and have been able to translate some of my road speed to the trails and I don't think that's always the case and I think it works the other way too like I don't necessarily think if you're a good trail runner that makes you a good road runner and so I think it's learning to really hone in on your strengths on wherever you're coming from and wherever your background is in and see if you can translate that to the other way. And I don't think I'm sold on specifically being a trail runner either. I think I still like doing some roads. So I like the hybrid aspect of going back and forth because I do like both. I love trails and I think I, that's where my heart is right now, but I do love some roads too. So do you feel, I mean, you're a Hoka athlete, um, do you feel that you, like your type of distance gets enough attention? Cause you're not necessarily a marathoner. What, I mean, what's your sweet spot? Would you say? And like, is it sort of underrepresented? Yes, definitely. I think that's something I've seen, you know, being fairly new to the trail world, like not even two years in, I've definitely noticed that the hundred distance is kind of the pinnacle of trail running, right? So the ultra, I think the ultra is held on a pedestal and I'm not saying that sub ultra isn't given enough attention and I definitely have focused my efforts and I think my strength is probably the 30K distance. But I think 
you know, you win Western States or you win Hard Rock or you win UTMB. And I think there's a lot more emphasis put on that than winning, you know, the marathon championships in the U.S. or a sub ultra distance. And I think it's, I do think it's a, maybe a little bit less competitive because you are starting to have a lot of athletes and sponsors push that 50 and 100 mile distance. And so I think there's a reason that people are drawn to that. I mean, I think there's more money. I think sponsors are emphasizing that. And I think there is more attention and PR around that. And I mean, that's not what I'm looking for. I do this sport because I love it and because it makes me happy and I love competing. So I don't want to do a hundred miler just because that's what everyone else is doing and that's where all the attention and focus is. But I do, I have seen that you know, balance or disparity between the sub ultra distance and you know the 50 to 100 mile distance. And I think there is reason behind that with some of the PR and sponsorships and you know some of them have just been around longer too. And I think the sub ultra will get there. No, I agree. I mean, I, you broke it down really well. Almost like you have a Duke background or something. No. <laughs> they taught us something there. <laughs> Um, no, I agree. And it's, it's actually, it's great to have coaches out there like Megan and David that, uh, are not overemphasizing going out and killing yourself, you know, trying to do hundred milers. Um, and it, it seems well in perspective and I mean, there's shorter distance races at UTMB. I know that should actually start taking more of a limelight and, there's some great races around the U.S. that probably are just underreported, like you said, because, I mean, sponsor dollars are all going towards these big 100-milers when, I mean, there's a whole group of super talented runners doing sub-50K sub distances, not necessarily road marathons, but it's specifically within trail running, too, that I think it's fascinating that it, how underrepresented it is. No, I agree. And I think, I do think it'll get there. I think it'll just take time. And I think, I feel like compared to road running and road running took a long time to build up too. I mean, now you have USATF championships from the 5k to the marathon and all of them are huge races at this point with a lot of prize money on the table. And I think trail running is getting there and you have a lot of supportive organizations that are helping build up some of the sub ultra distances too. But I do think it's, underrepresented at the moment um but it'll get there i think the beyond 100 is also underrepresented i <laughs> yes <laughs> the 200 weird, plus mile it's a weird world i mean but it's it's also not designed i think for the elite type effort it, i mean maybe with a courtney but um yeah it's definitely more of a slower pace than probably you're accustomed to that's for sure Yes, but I think that'll get there too. I mean, that's that's something where I think of, you know, we're talking about breaking the two-hour marathon and in trail running, you know, what's the farthest distance we're going to get to? Are we going to ever have like a 500-mile race or a 1,000-mile race? I mean, what's the limit, the upper limit on that? I mean, yeah. That's something I always think about too. You know, now we're pushing 240s and keeps getting longer and longer, it seems like, every year. So when is it going to stop? And that's kind of the same as, you know, when are the times going to stop dropping in the marathon? You never really know. Yeah, no, it's so, it's fascinating. It's funny, like, Candace's, uh, you know, earth-shattering concept was just, like, doubling the distance of the 100-miler and making it a race. Um, mm -hmm. It's a cool experience, though. I don't even really see it as a race, but we won't go down that rabbit hole. Um, 
Let's talk, um, let's shift things around a little bit. I mean, having just spent some time here talking to you, I was, I was really impressed that you, you would find it difficult only being a runner and doing nothing else other than living, waking up, running, and that's all you do. Um, explain that to the listener a little bit, because I, I thought it was a really great perspective and I want to hear more about it. Yeah, no, I definitely think I grew up in a family that didn't necessarily emphasize running or athletics all the time, but more of a balance. And I think going to Duke, you know, you grow up, I call it effortless perfection because everyone is good at everything. And so I think that was a really humbling experience going there. But you had people who were, you know, all American at the D1 level. They were also pre-med they were also founded a nonprofit in South Africa and then they seemed to be going out four nights a week with their sorority and so you just had people who were so good at all levels and I think that really pushed me to be the best I could be at every aspect of life which ultimately is like self-destruction um, and so after college my, I've really focused on trying to find balance but I definitely couldn't just be a runner. That's not my personality. And I feel like that wouldn't be fulfilling and that I wouldn't be really doing my justice to society. Like, I feel like I need to be contributing to society, whether it's through the work that I do in the environmental field or whether I'm helping to coach people. But I think it's also good when I'm injured to keep, to have, I guess, my portfolio diversified with happiness thinking about it from like a financial perspective, but having, you know, running as one facet of my happiness portfolio is great, but then having a couple of different areas too that make me happy. Like my work is really enjoyable and makes me happy. I also do some volunteer coaching on the side and then I am on a couple boards. I'm on the Duke alumni board out here and a few other things. Um, and so I think just, you know, when one thing's not going right, like, now I'm injured and running not the rest of my life doesn't change that much and I think it helps address that depression and anxiety issue too where I have a lot of other things going for me and a lot of other things holding me up so that if one part of my life isn't necessarily going right and the rest is you know that's just 10% of my life as opposed to 100% of my life and so I think that directly correlates into my running too so when I'm injured I'm able to still cross train and still maintain my happiness and the mental part of it and keep my physical um, parts up but I'm also still living the rest of my life and contributing to society and I just I don't think if I was a full-time runner I think I would be injured more than I already am I wouldn't be happy I wouldn't feel fulfilled and I don't think I would be doing my justice to society um, with I, everything else I was a professional runner for two weeks now oh, how did that go um, it actually got kind of boring towards the end of my two weeks um, lasted a whole two weeks though that's it was it was when I uh, had put in my final notice at my job in Ohio, and then my other job in in Colorado hadn't started yet. So I got to uh, I got to tell my wife that officially I'm a professional ultra runner. <laughs> and uh, yeah, honestly, I I would just like you said, I'd be totally broken uh, physically, and I don't know if I could cope with only being defined as a runner, like you said. I mean. But I, I think a lot of professional runners are figuring it out and branching out into other areas of society to help out. 
Yeah, and I think sponsors are also pushing that. I mean, I think we've seen the transition too in the last several years where sponsors aren't just picking people based on their athletic performance, but really the whole package. And so I think I really value that in the running world is that the people who are getting sponsored are also coaching. They're also doing outreach events. They're volunteering. They have the whole package. And now that that is really valued in the running world, I think we're seeing less and less people who are selfish, just thinking of themselves, like just running full time and not doing anything else. And you're seeing more people really maximize the benefits of being a professional runner and looking at, you know, doing environmental outreach, maybe on the trail side of things or coaching youth or speaking to the challenges that they've done. And I mean, I think Colorado is a little bit supportive of that too, with all of the like book club and run club events that they do on a variety of different topics. And I still think you see the traditional, you know, full-time runner who doesn't do anything else and doesn't give back to society in any way. But I feel like that's more and more being phased out with what sponsors and what society is pushing for. My sponsors only support me because of my physical abilities. (laughs) No. Um, No, but I totally agree. I mean, you're you're understanding that stuff, so like, really next level. I, I appreciate the thoughts on that. And so you you do volunteer, coach some youth runners. What lesson or lessons have you learned from some of your youngest runners? It's funny. So yeah, one of my best friends owns the club, and I like sub volunteer whenever I have availability and they need some help, but. It's just funny to look back on where kids are in middle school or high school and either how much they care about the sport and how much weight they put on it and then sometimes just how much they're just doing it for like the fun of it. And so I think I see both sides where there a lot of them do it because they love it and they really love their friends and they love running and it's so cool to see young kids that are so passionate about a sport. But then on the other side, it's funny to see you know, oh, someone stubbed their toe and they're out for a day and they're freaking out. I'm like, you're 15 or 16 and 24 hours of not running is not going to kill you. But it's so hard for young kids to understand that because they haven't been through it. And now I'm out, you know, I'm out for five weeks and I'm like, ah, I'll swim. I'll get back into shape soon enough. And you kind of see like the longevity in the sport, but just it's funny to see kids perspectives on that and just I think it helps you put your own career and your own running into perspective a little bit more and then just I mean go back to the fundamentals of just having fun and doing it for the community too yeah that's awesome um people forget to enjoy their training and I don't know it's for me at least or you know a lot of us it's an everyday thing so if you're out there torturing yourself I mean what's the point even if you are Podium, like making a podium or two, like if you're unhappy the majority of your time, I don't know if it's even worth it, really. Um, so you said you dealt with anxiety and kind of depression. I wanted to dig into, I mean, you've elaborated a little bit on how you cope with it. Um, you don't meditate at all, right? I do not. I don't have the okay. patience to meditate at the moment, but I'm slowly teaching myself that I should go to yoga or do something or learn how to meditate. But 
feel like that song kind of always gets put on the back burner, especially with work and running and all of the other things I'm doing, which I do need to take some stuff off my plate. But meditating it will be on there when I get the time. I, I mean, it helps me, but I, I'm just one person. So uh, you probably meditate and don't even realize it when you run. I mean, unless you're really... Yeah, I think when I'm working out, I definitely, it's my time of the day to just process. I don't run with people a lot. I have a couple friends that I run with and then definitely try to do long runs with people. But yeah, normally it's that and now swimming is the time of the day, the hour, the hour and a half I have that's to myself where I'm not talking to people and it lets me just digest everything, I think, before the work day starts and I'm talking to people for eight hours straight. So I think I'm definitely a little bit of an introvert at heart and so... I really need that alone time in the morning to just process. So whether it's running or swimming or some sort of outdoor activity, I do think that's a big part of, I guess, yeah, my meditative practices in a way. And in terms of depression, I mean, it's an issue with our sport. For some reason, a lot of runners, whether it's, you know, they get into running to cope with it or running creates some kind of, in balance with their bodies, it creates depression. I mean, how have you coped with that? Do you know people that have had issues and kind of what's, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think mental health is just a really big issue in all of America, whether you're a runner or not. And it's something that's definitely not addressed a lot. And I found that, especially in the running community, it's not necessarily something that's it's kind of frowned upon a little bit to talk about it and talk about your mental health struggles. And I don't think people are aware of what the resources are. Like if they do have anxiety or depression, you know, what are your options? Like I've really, I've been out in Colorado for four years now and I still don't have anyone that I could recommend as a resource if you're having a mental health struggle. So I think it's, you know, that's part of it um, is just the lack of awareness around what to do if you're struggling, but then also yeah. just being able to talk through it with other people. Um, so I was fortunate enough that at Duke, we had a lot of mental health. There's a big focus on mental health there. They had short-term mental health therapy on campus for free for all students. And my coach highly recommended I go see someone and then if they thought you needed long-term help they had multiple resources since it was a medical campus that could provide long-term support for you and so I ended up going to a long-term psychology resource for like three years of college which I feel like really helped and I haven't I mean I think I should still have someone like on call out here but again I haven't I just haven't figured out someone that works for me out here but I think it's something it's an issue that's widely unaddressed and I've had two friends now who have been runners who have had dep- really bad depression and anxiety who have committed suicide and it's just because they haven't you know it was something people weren't aware of um, so I think it just really begins with the education and awareness piece and then mapping out resources but I do yeah, I agree. it's it's a tough subject and I don't think people are a lot of people just aren't comfortable talking about it but I don't think there's a lot of great resources either around that subject yeah it's hard I mean locally I don't know if I've heard of anything nationally I mean one of my friends Tommy Burns started a nonprofit bigger than the trail I think I've recommended it to one or two people that have reached out to me um, and Tommy does good work so if you are looking for a resource I know of that one but locally I'm not sure 
but I think you're totally right. I mean, mapping it down and localizing it would definitely help. Even if they came to local run groups, run clubs, and just mentioned it, like, hey, this is available. If you know somebody, like, here it is. Um, but I, I totally agree. Right. And I think a lot of runners do use running as a coping mechanism. I mean, it is, uh, you know, gives you endorphins. It makes you happy. And so I think a lot of time you really see that when people get injured. It's how do you deal with being injured and not being able to run, which can be your source of happiness. And then what do you do through injury? So that's something that I've really, I think, figured out because I've been injured so much and that I know, you know, work makes me happy and my friends make me happy. And Mm -hmm. Swimming still kind of gives me the endorphins that running does, but I think that's when people can really get into that well is when they're either not, they're putting too much pressure on themselves and they're not performing in races and their self-confidence goes down and they get into that spiral of depression and anxiety or when they get injured. I definitely leaned on running as a a crutch for stress relief. And a lot of people do. There's nothing lucky. wrong with that. I mean, I got lucky that I found essentially meditation through running, and that's been my per- like my personal outlet. Um, but I definitely fall in that category. Yeah. I'm learning more about myself during this interview. <laughs> um, I know this is like, like a counseling session. Yeah. How much is this again? <laughs> is this covered by insurance? Um, let's shift gears quickly before we dive too deep into my own psyche. Uh, most important question of the night or day, toe socks, no toe socks. Am I a weirdo for even asking that question? Mm, no toe socks. I feel like my toes are all weird lengths though. So I can't even, even when I do, I can't do gloves or I have to do mittens. They just, I like to have the freedom of. They could probably make like an Ashley special edition where like the pinky toe is abnormally I'm just kidding. You can't. My aunt got me a pair of toe socks a couple of Christmases ago, and I re-gifted them. <laughs> I hope she's not listening. Pretty unlikely. Um, what type of shoe do you like? I've, I see that you have one or two pairs. <laughs> one or two hundred. Well, I guess I'm a little biased towards Hoka, but I typically run, I train most of the time in the Speed Goats, the Hoka Speed Goats, and then I race in the Torrents. Um, and then on the roads... Probably the Tracer and the Clifton. Yeah. I'm impressed. Seriously. I, I even had to up, upload a photo on Instagram of uh, your shoes. So um, part of me is just secretly jealous because uh, <laughs> I'm running low on the ATR 3s and they're already on 5s mm-hmm. now and I'm having a little bit of anxiety. Like, I know it's a problem. Shoe. You find a model you like and then they make a new model and they don't sell the old model anymore. It's my biggest challenge in the shoe world. Yeah, that's amazing. And so, do you wear compression gear at all, or are you light on that and just use it for recovery? Um, I actually use, I do use compression socks, only when I race though, um, because most of the time my races are cold, and I don't like to race in a lot of clothing, so normally I just wear a singlet and tights, and then, or shorts. And then I'll actually just wear compression socks to keep me warm more than anything. But I've had some issues with shin splints in the past. So if those ever flare up, that's when I start wearing compression socks again. Or if I'm doing really long flights, like nine plus hour flights. But I'm, I'm just a big fan on letting the body recover naturally and teaching it to recover on its own. Which I don't know if that's the right tactic. 
but I always believe that if I just let it recover on its own, it'll teach its teach teach my body to recover during races, so I can recover better on my own. Um, do you use any other gear? Do you have a GPS watch? Do you use Strava and all that fun stuff? I do use Strava. I just really upload. I don't really play with Strava that much or try to beat Strava records. I know people go out on runs and are like, I need to get this one-minute segment on Strava because someone beat me by 0.1 second last night and I need to go back out and get the record. I don't, not like that on Strava. I just kind of use it as my own training tool to track my mileage and cross-training so I can really go back and look through what I did. That's more sort of than what I do. Yeah, I don't like comparing myself to others. And I have the, like, $50 Garmin watch, the like basic, the most basic model that will physically upload something to Strava and it probably it doesn't tell me much of anything else. No, that's, I mean, I wish I could be like, oh, uh, someone, I wish I'd get that email, someone took my record. I'd be totally happy with that. Because <laughs> that would mean I actually had a record in the first place. Um, what type of uh, nutrition are you taking during races? I've really had success with just, I start out with a noon electrolyte tablet and then I pretty much just do water from there on out for longer races. And then I just do honey finger gels. I mean, those with caffeine that has worked for me, do it every like 35 to 40 minutes. And again, I've only run up to like three and a half hours, I think has been my longest race. Um, and that's worked. So I've never had to do actual food. I feel like I might have to address the food situation if I get to maybe a 50 mile race, but I feel like for anything under three hours, I really haven't had to do much more than just gels, some electrolytes and water. Okay. How, how many gels are you taking per hour? Are you one of those, cause your effort level is so high you're taking, I just talked to Kiwi uh, yesterday and she's like, I take a gel every 20 minutes and my jaw dropped. <laughs> like, do you take gels that frequently or is it like one every 45 minutes? No, that is, I mean, You're I just smaller too. So yes. one gel is a lot. And I'm not, I'm just a big fan of going by feel. So some days I feel more hungry than others. So the most frequent I've ever taken them is probably 30, every 35 to 40 minutes. If I'm like really hungry, sometimes I'm like, more carbo loaded I guess and it's like sat with me and so in those instances I've taken maybe two gels in a two to three hour race and been fine so I feel like for me it really varies based on terrain and what I've eaten the week before the race and so I'm really just like a hundred percent go by feel and make sure I don't under fuel but I can typically read my body well enough where I know about what I need to take but it's typically 35 to 40 50 minutes every what um do you have any kind of special dietary needs restrictions are you vegetarian vegan fat adapted i don't know no i eat a lot of meat i'm not vegetarian or vegan i did try to go vegetarian for like a week or two and it didn't work out very well I, i do wish at some point i could for environmental reasons but i feel physically weak I feel like my body is just very adapted to higher protein, higher fat, um, but I don't limit carbs. I feel like I'm a little bit more fat adapted because I do all of my running in the morning. And so I'm typically running fasted because I don't really eat anything before I run at 5.30 or 6 a.m. Um, and so I think I'm better at burning fat because of that. 
but I don't focus on that as a typical diet. That's unique. I honestly am a little surprised at that just because of the distance you're running, um, being a little bit shorter than most times I'm having fat adapted conversations. But like me personally, if I have a cup of coffee for breakfast and go for a lunch run fasted, and it's like an upper temp, like an up tempo run. Like I know I'm like hitting on all cylinders if I can go that long throughout the day and then, and still not be hungry to come home for dinner. And normally that's when <laughs> I break fast, but um, I've toyed with that. I mean, you wouldn't tell by my body shape that that's actually happening, but um, that's interesting. It's really interesting. So have you toyed around with like keto adaption or any of that stuff? Have you taken blood readings and looked at ketone? Mm, no, I haven't or... done any research into that. I feel like just with my lifestyle and being a consultant, I travel quite a bit for work within Colorado. Um, and it's just too hard when you're on the road to be focusing on work and doing all of that side of things and then focus on, oh, you know, every time I go out to lunch with a client, I'm, I can't be keto or be, it's just, it's too hard logistically for yeah. working a full-time job in business development and consulting. So it's, I totally agree. It, I've thought about it, but it's just too unrealistic for where I'm at with my life right now. Are you a coffee drinker? I am a coffee drinker. I'm not a coffee snob. I don't need the best beans in the world, but I do. What's have your go, what's your go-to bean? They have, um. Right now, I think I just have Folgers in the house, and I have um, Village Roasters in Lakewood. They're like a little coffee shop that when I like to treat myself, I'll get like fresh ground beans from there. But we actually have like an espresso machine at work. Nice. So I typically just go into the office just to get coffee. That's that's my main driver for going to the office early. So a cup of coffee, though, every day at least? Afternoon coffee for for you? No afternoon coffee. I just have about half a cup to one cup a day. That's it. I'll be wired if I have more than that. <laughs> yeah. So what, um, I'm just going to shift gears one last time here and appreciate all your time and hospitality. Um, what's a typical training block for you when you're going to throw down a 114 half marathon? Like, do you, do you have a set training block at this point? Having run, won so many races, like, do you, are you confident if you haven't done back-to-back -back long runs going into some kind of race? I mean, and what are what's like a typical mileage when you're going to qualify for the Olympic trials? I'm a pretty low mileage, low volume workout person. I mean, my training is not super impressive. Um, I would say 50 to 70 miles a week, anywhere in there um, is pretty typical. I take one day fully off a week. And I feel like coming back from this injury, I'll honestly probably take one full day off and then I'll probably swim. I'll do a swim workout one day a week too. Um, one workout a week, so normally like a Wednesday workout, um, anywhere from three to six miles of workout volume. Um, so like fart licks or hills, like that. I try to do strides almost every day and then do core like every other day and stretch and roll. Um, rarely double just because of my work. Um, sometimes it's some late nights, but maybe I'll double once or twice a week. And then my long runs are 
anywhere from 15 to 20 miles, never too much above that. And then my like back-to-back quote long runs will be like a 10 mile on Sunday and then maybe Saturday after 15 to 20 miles on Saturday. So I love how you're like 50 to 70 miles. Like it's a bad thing. Like it's weird that we have this like societal, like our mini little running society has like a norm, like expectations for a Hoka athlete. Oh my gosh. Well, I think just, especially coming from a road background, I mean, and it being in Boulder, you don't, if you're not running a hundred miles a week, you're like not doing enough is the mindset in Boulder, especially on the roads. And so I think coming from that background and then hearing about all the people who can stay healthy and are running 90 miles a week. And I, I definitely don't think more is better. I'm definitely a quality over quantity type of person. Um, so if I'm only running five days a week this fall and I'm swimming two days a week, that which is probably going to be a realistic training regimen after this stress fracture, um, I think a lot of it's just confidence. It's confidence and it's being sure in yourself and your training. And I'm fine with the background that I've had. And if I can hit a couple of key times, I can kind of get a feel of where I'm at. But I think I have enough confidence and mental toughness that like the racing will come together if I can just string together some healthy training wait so you don't follow a Hal Higgins training plan for Olympic trial I don't even know what that is (laughs) it's like the standard like (laughs) mileage where if you don't get your seven mile run in today like you're not going to finish your marathon but I, I totally agree with you it's I've I figured out at least for myself it's like how much training do I need so that I fundamentally believe I can do whatever I'm, my goal is, whatever my race goal objective is. Right. There's and no magic number. It's like literally, it's different for each person. I mean, you could literally have people that tie at a 50K and yeah, I mean, they're training. Completely different training. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't promise you if anyone else followed my training regimen, I could guarantee they probably wouldn't be racing like I do because I'm definitely a racer and my training, I don't don't think my training equates to what I race at. Um, but I've looked at some Strava's and different people posting about workouts and I was like, geez, these people should be running two twenty marathons and you know, they run two fifties or something. So it's not, I feel like training definitely doesn't always equate to what you're going to do. They spent it all. They, they had their best runs during training and not during the actual races. They went to the well in the training, so they don't have anything left when it comes to the race. So you see that again and again. I think that's just, you know, maybe lack of confidence. um, Yeah, big time. That's a big part of it. So are you a believer in kind of like 80-20 in terms of like intensity, like easy days or easier efforts versus hard efforts during training? I I do 90-10 probably most of the time. Yeah, mine's probably around there. I mean, my easy runs are you're, you're they're really painfully slow sometimes. I What's painfully slow for? Like 10-minute mile pace. That's awesome. That's, yeah. Could all show of, me in you. Nice, know, easy 10-minute. Running like the Kenyans. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so two, two last questions. How do you balance everything that you're doing? Because you, it's very impressive to have a full-time... You know, your job's not easy. You have a stressful job. You're on the go constantly. Um, how do you balance, you know, family, boyfriend, your Hoka sponsorship, your volunteering? I mean, you're doing a lot. Um, how do you balance it all? 
and co- and coping with this injury too yeah. and mending don't sleep no i'm just kidding i get like 10 hours of sleep a night <laughs> 10 cups of coffee a day <laughs> yeah no yeah and a red bull um no it's it, it is hard um it's challenging but i think i'm actually i think i thrive off of being busy all the time so i actually feel like when i'm not doing enough that I actually do poorly in everything I'm doing at. And I can't explain why that is necessarily the mindset that's been ingrained in me, but I feel like when I have kind of a regimen and I'm just doing things one after the other and you know sometimes they're going well, sometimes they're not. But I think I've built in where I enjoy you know, waking up at 5.30 or 6 and getting my workout in and then doing work and then going to see family or friends or doing other things. And I think I thrive off of being busy and having a lot on my plate versus not having anything on my plate. So I think it goes back to that fulfillment piece of I feel more fulfilled and balanced as a human being when I have a lot of things that I'm contributing to on a daily basis. And I think occasionally, I think there's this fear in Colorado of missing out to the FOMO issue, but I think I've kind of learned that once one or two days a month, I just need to sit on the couch and just watch TV all day. And I think that kind of, I have, you know, I go, go, go 28 or 29 days of the month, but then I have that one or those one or two days where I'm really just relaxing and not doing a lot. And then I'm reset and I'm ready to go. It's weird to look over at the couch when you say that in the TV. <laughs> um, so last question, and again, really appreciate your time is what advice do you have for someone thinking about a trail 30k or you know a marathon or a half marathon and maybe they've only run ultras for two years now is it okay to run shorter distances like what what advice do you have for them i would just say have fun with it i mean i think this goes back to that kid mentality of you know when you first started running you just love it and you start and it's just part of the social aspect of it and I think if you're having fun with it and you're not taking it too seriously and maybe you just if you're really scared of doing a half marathon or something shorter pick out a place that you really want to go so you could do maybe like Napa the Napa Valley half marathon or go overseas and run like the Iceland marathon or you know, make it a fun trip too and get a group together and just make it an experience and make it something that's fun and just keep it lighthearted because the moment you're not having fun with it, it's not worth doing. Make it an adventure? Yes, an adventure, adventure running. I love it. Thank you for the time. Where can people follow you on social media? I do have a Strava, Um, I think it's Ashley Brassavan. I think my Instagram handle is also Ashley Brassavan. Um, I'm on Facebook too. I have a Twitter, but I don't really use it. So follow me on all of those. Thank you for your time. Yes, thanks for having me. It's been fun. That was episode 87. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Thank you again to Ashley for taking so much time doing the video and doing the actual in-person interview. Thank you to the podcast sponsors, Exoskin, Hammer Nutrition, Ultimate Direction, Destination Trail, and Sufferfest Beer. Thank you to the Patreon supporters. We'll have another Patreon question of the week next week. And don't forget to check out YouTube. Hit that subscribe button, and hopefully we can build out another platform to inspire you to get out and run. Don't forget to enjoy your training. See you guys next week.